0: of business, which is officially calling people together to sign up, to be a member, to be a family member of ID Clifton. And and so membership is a beautiful thing. Family membership is a beautiful thing. What it means is that we're coming together to be accountable to the church of Jesus Christ. It means that we're coming together and saying that we're a family. We're going to follow Christ together. We're going to work together. We're going to serve together. We're going to give together. And we're going to pour ourselves out together. And family membership is reminding us that, hey, this is our body. This is the body that Christ has called us to. This is something that I'm committed to. This is something I want to be a part of. And so we have some bylaws available. and This is just basically the beliefs of the church. And you had the opportunity to receive those this week through email. If you didn't, we we have a couple copies in the back. And we made some edits to those. And we're still working through the process of a a few more edits, but... As you read those and you see what I.D. Clifton's about, I pray that you'll continue to pray for us and that you'll uh, continue to pray about becoming involved here, becoming a piece of this family. And so today we'll sign a piece of paper that says that, but we also have this board over here. Now, if you were with us at Impact Drayton, you know that we do this every year. This board is a reminder who our family is. This board is a reminder that we're coming together as one, coming together to sign this board, to write our names On a birth certificate, a family certificate, that we're together, that we're in this together. I know during COVID, we've heard that a lot, we're in this together. And we haven't really been, but today I want you to know we're in this together. The church of Jesus Christ, we're in it together through the blood of Christ. And so coming together to do this is a remembrance of who Christ is and the family that he's called us to. So I'm so excited to be here today. We're going to look at some scripture here in just a moment. And I need to be honest with you guys. I, I'm usually pretty good at getting my sermon done and finding out exactly what God wants me to speak on. But this week, He's just had my mind all over the place. Everything I settle on, He's like, "No, that's not it." So I settle on something else, and He's like, "No, that's not it." So I've probably written about 13 sermons this week. Literally, I'm not kidding you. I was at my desk last night at six o'clock, and Sarah was like, "What are you doing?" I was like, working on my sermon. She's like, you. Wait until the last minute, aren't you? And I was like, no, I did work all week. God just keeps speaking to me. The Holy Spirit keeps uh, coming back to me and saying, hey, I want you to tweak this. I want you to look at this. I want want to take you to a piece of scripture that you wouldn't even think of. And so this piece of scripture that we're going to look at has nothing to do with Palm Sunday. If you've been in church, you're like, okay, he's going to preach on Jesus coming into town on a donkey. And everybody's saying, Hosanna. I'm not going to preach on that. I'm going to touch on that, but God showed me something else, and so um, I'm excited to preach, but I'm also a little bit nervous, so I'm going to have to pray in just a moment, because I don't know where the Holy Spirit's going to take it, but I want you to know I'm not coming up here and saying, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. I didn't study all week. I didn't have any time to figure it out. No, that's abuse of the Holy Spirit, saying, okay, Lord, whatever you want, and then coming up here and speaking. That's, that's That's abuse of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works through our preparation. But I believe that the Lord wants something great today and that he's going to have it. So if you'll bow your heads and pray with me. Father God, thank you so much. Lord God, today I, I just have this feeling of inadequacy preaching your word. Every week I experience that, but this week it's heavier, Father God. Because we're on this great day, this Palm Sunday, Father God. Looking forward to Good Friday where you're laid upon a cross and where your life is taken through murder. But through the obedience of you to your Father, and Father God, when we think about next Sunday and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the coming, the coming out of the grave, the defeating death, the taking our sin, Father God, it just makes me a ball of fire ready to explode. And Father God, so today as I preach Your Word, I pray that You'll be humble, that You'll humble me before Your feet, Father God, that You will give me peace through Your Spirit. Father God, that each person in this room will open their heart to receive what the King looks like, to see what the King looks like, to experience who the King is, to let their life be transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ in anticipation of a great day where we remember the resurrection of you, Father God. The only one who could do it, the only one who could defeat death, the only one who could take every sin that was and is and is to come and put it upon his shoulders and defeat it. You did that, Lord. Father God, as I come, let me be nothing more than a microphone to amplify your voice. Let me be nothing more than who you've called me to be, Father God. Not perfect, not the worst, not the best, but just exactly who I am. Father God, for each person in this room, for each situation that they're dealing with right now, Father God, may it be joyous or may it be sorrowful. I pray for your spirit to mourn with them and your spirit to celebrate them. Father God, I pray for a time of family where we come before your feet and we say, this is my family. This is who Christ has called me to. This is who Christ has bonded me with through his blood. He's bonded me with Jesus, the Father. And he's bonded me with these people who he's called to be the body. Some thumbs, some noses, some kneecaps, some tendons. And he's called us to be together, to operate in the fullness of who he is. We thank you for the privilege of worshiping you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys will notice it also looks a little bit different in here this week. There's more chairs in here. You're like, what, there's more chairs? Yeah, there's 140 chairs in this place right now. Praise God, because we didn't pay anything for it. We talked last week about the partners who came in with us with New Spring and the Spartanburg Baptist College Network, right? The Spartanburg Baptist Network. Coming in alongside of us and helping us get all these chairs. We have more in the back that we're going to continue to fit in somehow. I promise you I'll make it happen. But we're excited to be here today. We're excited to sit in these chairs which God has provided. And we're excited to open up the scripture. So if you'll do me a favor and take your Bible, your phone, whatever you got. And you'll open it to 1 Samuel. That's in the Old Testament. We're going to take a break from Genesis for just a couple weeks. And we're going to jump into 1 Samuel today. And that's going to be 1 Samuel chapter 9. And we're just going to read a little bit of this. We're going to be jumping around a little bit today. So 1 Samuel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It says, there was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechareth, the son of Aphiah of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome as a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish, were lost, and Kish said to his son, Saul, Take one of the servants with you and go for the donkeys. Hold on, guys. I'm going to move this microphone down. Take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around Shalisha, But they did not find them They were on the district of Shalim But the donkeys were not there Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin But they did not find them When they reached the district of Zephu Saul said to the servant who was with him Come let us go back Or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys And start worrying about us But the servant replied Look in this town there is a man of God He is highly respected And everything he says comes true Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way way to take. So what's happening here is this is King Saul. Some of you have heard of King Saul. See, King Saul came into play after the Israelites rejected God as king. So in 1 Samuel, we see that the Israelites want a king. Actually, you can see in chapter 8 that the Israelites begin to ask God for a king. Now, it's so interesting because they begin to ask God for a king even though they already have a king. They have the king of kings who led them out of Egypt. They have the king of kings who protected them in the wilderness. They have the king of kings leading them by grace and mercy. And they say to God, God, we want to be like the other nations. God, we want to be like the other nations with a king who rules over us. A king who gives us direction. A king who fights for us. Can you just imagine the broken heart of God in that moment when he had provided for them, he had cared for them, he had taken care of them, he provided water in the wilderness. He had provided manna from heaven. He had taken them out of an impossible situation into Exodus from Egypt. He had taken them through all of that. And now they said, God, we want something else. God, we want to be like the other nations. We want a king to rule over us. And God tells them through Samuel, he says, you need to think about what you're saying, because if you ask for a king, you need to understand one day your sons and daughters will become slaves to this king. Are you okay with that? And they're like, yes, we want a king. Yes, we want a king. And so they continue to ask for a king. So God says, okay, I will give you what you're asking for. I will give you a king. And he chooses Saul. Now Saul from what it was a Benjamin, which he was the smallest tribe in Israel. And as we're seeing, as we were reading, Saul was a pretty magnificent person. He was taller than everybody. He was handsome. He was a man you would look at and say, this man deserves to be something. And Saul's looking for donkeys. His dad sends him out to look for donkeys. And he meets Samuel while he's looking for these donkeys. It's, it's a really cool story because he, they're just wandering looking for these donkeys. And they hear about a man of God. Named Samuel. And they go into this village and they're both like, we don't have anything to offer the man of God. And then the servant's like, well, I have a half a shekel of silver. Let's take it. Let's see if he'll give us direction. Let's see if he'll give us guidance. And they go in there and Samuel is reminded that God said, on this day, a man from the tribe of Benjamin will come and you will anoint him king over Israel. Because nothing happens for coincidence. There's no such thing as coincidence. There's only purpose. The fact that you're here today is purpose. The fact that you walked in these doors today, six months ago, whenever, is a purpose of God. You're not here by random chance. The things that you've been through, it's not by random chance. The things that you've brought you to this place today, maybe someone invited you, or maybe someone loves you and they brought you to this place. I need you to hear from my heart. You're not here for no reason. You're not here just because you were appeasing your friends by coming. You're not here just because you were appeasing your family by coming. You're here because God wants to give you a purpose-filled movement of who he is through the word of God and his Holy Spirit. Can you all feel me on that? Just like Samuel, when he finds Saul. Saul thought he was going looking for donkeys. Saul was going looking for the man of God who had changed his life. He was everything he was supposed to be. He was everything Israel wanted. And in chapter 10, we'll jump down just a little bit. It says, Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb of Zalza on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, the donkeys you set out to look for have been found. And now your father has stopped thinking about them. And is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? And so Saul is then anointed as the king of Israel. Uh, Samuel takes his olive oil and pours it on his head and anoints him the king of Israel. And then in verse 9, if we jump down a little bit more, it says Saul turned to leave Samuel. God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gibe, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. And so Saul is anointed king. He is made king by God. He is made king by God. All the stars aligned, as they would say. All the purpose was fulfilled. Everything was taking place which God set out to take place. And he makes Saul king. He gives Israel what they had wanted. He gives Israel what they had yearned for. What they have asked God for. Even though God knew it wasn't the best thing. God was giving them something that would make them realize their need for God. And so when Saul is confirmed as king in chapter 11 and verse 12, it says the people then said to Samuel, who was it that shall shall not reign over us? And before that, in verse 11, when Saul is about to make king before the Israelites, he's hiding. He's hiding. Saul knew that he couldn't do it. Saul was scared. He was taking on kingship. Over God's inheritance, the scripture says. He was sitting there knowing that he, wasn't, that he couldn't do it. Knowing that he had to have God. Knowing that he was unworthy. Just like some of you feel before God calls you to something great. He was saying, God, how can I do this? And he was hiding. He wasn't ready to step up. But then he steps up through the power of the spirit of God. His heart was completely changed. And they confirmed him as a king. And when he's made king, some of the people are like, how's he going to say this? How's he going to save us from the Amorite king? See, the Amorite king had made a deal with Israel. If you want a treaty with us, we're going to scoop every single right eye out of every single person. Then we'll not destroy you completely. And Saul comes and he saves them. And then even the men who said, how's he going to save us? We're looking to get rid of all the people in Israel. Like, who said they saw could to be king? Who said that he was That he wasn't worthy. Who said that he wasn't ready? Who said that they couldn't save us? Look, he saved us. He took care of everything. He moved. He's our king, just like we wanted. He's the king who will save us. He's the king who will take care of us. Completely forgetting about all the victories that God has won. Because with us as human beings, it's what have you done for me lately? Y'all feel that? God, I know that you did this for me two years ago, but what have you done for me lately? God, I know that you provided food for me today, but what have you done for me since breakfast? And we start to lose that faith in God and we begin to put it in the thing that's in front of us in the moment. And so Saul was the king of Israel. He saved them. He took care of them. And then just a few short chapters later, he fails God. God told him to go, wait for seven days, and then Samuel will come, and he'll offer sacrifice so that you can go into a war, and so that you'll be saved through God. And Saul waits, and just like us, he gets a little impatient, right? Because when we're waiting on something, we're like, okay, God, why haven't you done it? God, where's my stimulus check? It's been two hours. Y'all know what I'm talking about, checking that bank account every five seconds. You're like, God, when are you going to do this? Why are you doing this to me? When's it going to be, right? Right? start to get a little impatient. Or when God hasn't moved in our lives the way that we expected, we start to get a little impatient. And we start to pick it up and put our own hands on it. We start to say, God, well, I, guess, I guess you can't do it, so I guess what you want me to do is pick it up myself. Just like Abraham and Sarah, remember? I guess you want me to pick it up myself. So Sam, uh, Saul is waiting for Samuel and he doesn't show up. And Saul says, okay, we don't need Samuel. Let's get this done. Bring me the burnt offerings. Saul wasn't allowed to offer the burnt offerings. Saul was not a prophet. Saul was not the spiritual man that God had placed to offer the burnt offerings, to offer the sacrifices. That was Samuel's job. There's a hierarchy here. And Samuel was supposed to do that. But Saul says, We got to get it done. We got to go into victory. We got to fight. I have to do it because God's not gonna, apparently God's not going to follow through. So he does it. And Samuel shows up and he says, What are you doing? You need to wait. And they win the victory, but this is Saul's first disobedience. And all throughout the book of Samuel, we'll see Saul's continued disobediences. We'll see the ways that Saul fails God, and we'll see the ways that Saul becomes power-hungry. The way that Saul wants only to be king, wants only to have respect, wants only the position Doesn't care about God any longer, only cares about the power, only cares about the prosperity, only cares about retaining the position which he's been in. Even when God, because it's funny because after Saul offers those burnt offerings, Samuel tells him, you're going to be replaced by a man who's after God's own heart. That's right. By a man who's after God's own heart. You don't respect the authority. You don't respect the position. Then you'll be replaced by a man who's after God's own heart. And he's speaking about King David. But I also think he's speaking a little bit deeper. Because there's another king who's coming. Saul was everything that a king should have looked like. He was tall. He stood a head above everybody. He was a great military leader. He was everything you would expect in a king. Everything you would expect in a warrior king. Something to keep you safe. he was everything that you expect. But Israel already had a king. So when they told God they wanted a king. God said I will give you what you want. But it will not be good. But I I will care for you. I will love you. And he gives them Saul. And then he gives them King David. And King David was amazing. But King David also had Bathsheba. King David also had a son who tried to kill him and take his power. King David also murdered a man because he wanted his wife Bathsheba. King David also had loss. He lost a son. He lost another son. He had a daughter sexually abused. He had all these things that were happening to him. Because even though King David was after God's own heart, that doesn't mean that King David was above the tragedy of life. That doesn't mean that King David was perfect. King David had sinned. King David needed a king. And then after King David came Solomon. And Solomon was so great. Solomon had all the wisdom. Solomon had everything that you could want. All the riches. But then Solomon started to say, God, we need to make treaties. I trust you, but I'm not going to trust you with our safety. So he started to marry every woman from around and make treaties. And they brought their own gods to Israel. And they would bring them, they would begin to worship, and Saul would let them. So Saul was bringing idol worship into Israel. Or Solomon. And Solomon was a great king. If you read about Solomon, he was a great king. But Solomon was not perfect. Solomon even built a temple. Last week, when we were talking about the mount where uh, Abraham went to sacrifice Isaac, this is the same mount where uh, the temple of Solomon, the temple of the Lord, was built. Solomon wasn't perfect. Solomon made mistakes. Solomon set his kids up for failure. Because he had brought in so many false gods. And then if you read the book of Kings, you see all these events where king after king after king fails. And then they'll say, but then there was a king after God's heart. But then he got murdered. But then there was a king after God's heart. But he what he got. And all these human kings continue to fail. Every single one of them. Until Israel's taken into captivity. And then they're under another king, another human king, which they asked for. Y'all feel me? See, sometimes we ask God for things that we don't need, and sometimes he gives them to us to help us remember how much we need God. Because God does everything by purpose and design. God does everything for your benefit. God, when he gave Israel a king, was doing it for their benefit so that they would understand how much they needed God. And God was always planning on sending a king. God was always planning on sending a king. In Matthew 26 is the story of the Palm Sunday. When Jesus tells his disciples to go into the town and find a donkey. How beautiful is that? Do you understand that right now? Saul was looking for donkeys. Go find the donkeys. Saul couldn't find the donkeys. But Jesus, the King of Kings, tells his disciples, go find the donkey, because there is no coincidence. Everything is orchestrated. Everything has a purpose. And they go into the city, and the first thing that they see is a donkey, a young colt that had never been ridden. And he says, let me have that donkey. The teachers asked for it. And he tells them to go and make preparations that the place will have Passover. And they go and they get the donkey. They make the preparation for Passover. Matthew 26 is where this is taking place. And then in John chapter 12, here's what we see. If you guys return turn to John chapter 12 with me. Saul was anointed as king. Saul was looking for donkeys. Jesus sends his people in to look for the donkeys. They find the donkey. They bring it back to him. Now they're going to have Passover. But before Passover... Something amazing happens. John chapter 12. It says six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany with Lazarus, where Lazarus lived. whom so Jesus has raised from the dead. See, just in John chapter 11, Lazarus had died. He had been dead for four days. He had been dead for four days. And the servants of Mary and Martha and Lazarus come to Jesus and say, hey, the one you love is sick. Come and heal him. And Jesus said, okay. And then he says to his disciples, let's wait two more days. It was only a two-mile walk. Jesus could have gotten there. Usually, when someone says somebody's sick, it's like we got to go right now. I don't care if the airplane tickets are four hundred dollars. Run away! Let's go. We got to get there. They're sick. We don't know what's going to happen. That's the difference between a human king and an all king. And so Jesus says, "Let's wait two more days." And then he rolls up, and Martha comes running out, and he says, "Lazarus is already dead. If you would have been here sooner." He would have lived. But she says this. Here's the cool part. Remember, she's processing with God. If you would have been here, he would have lived. But I know that you are the king of kings. I know you are the Messiah. I know that anything you want will happen. I know that you can do anything. I know that you can do it. And Jesus says to her, you're correct. I can do it. And she says, I know that you can do anything. I know that you are the Christ. I know that you are the Messiah. I know that you are the King. Messiah, the King. And she goes back and she gets married. And here comes Mary rushing to Jesus. And she just falls at his feet and says, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. But she doesn't say anything else. This doesn't make that Mary a bad person. No. Because Mary is exactly where she needs to. Be. She doesn't have words to say this is who you are. But falling at the feet of the king shows that she knows who the king is. So it shows that she knows what the king can do. And it says Jesus looks upon her and he weeps. And he looks upon the rest and he weeps. Jesus wasn't weeping because Lazarus was dead. Jesus was weeping because his people were hurting And then in John chapter 12, after Jesus goes to the tomb and rolls away the stone and says, Lazarus, come and He comes out. He comes out. In Matthew 26, we actually see that at the Passover. Lazarus was reclining at the table with Jesus. And some Jews started to hear about it. They started to get a little testy. They're like, we're going to kill Jesus. Now we're going to kill and so in John chapter 12, something amazing happened. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to, the, to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus among them was reclining at the table with him. Here's it is again in John chapter 12. Then Mary took about a point of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it at the feet of Jesus on the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't the perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she would save the perfume for this day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So beautiful, this anointing. And it wasn't just olive oil. It It says that she pours a pound of nard. This is a fine perfume. This was a year's worth of wages. This was something that could have brought prosperity to her and her family. And she says, I don't care because you're my king. And she pours it on his feet. And then she takes her hair. Now, hair was an interesting thing to the Israelites. It was their beauty. It was something that they would put up. It was something that showed their feminism, their feminine. It was something that people would, if they didn't have hair, if they had problems with their hair, they would want that hair. They they would look at women and say they're beautiful because of their hair. And she takes it and she says, "My beauty is worth nothing because this is my king. I want to give you all that I have, all the nard. I want to pour it on your feet. I want to wash your feet. I want to anoint you as king with something that is more valuable than olive oil. And I want to show you my reverence for you by wiping it off with your hair." It says the aroma filled the room. Then one of the disciples, Jesus and sold, given to the poor. I love serving the poor. Jesus calls us to serve the poor. But our worship, without our worship, we can't serve. Worship is never wasted. y'all feel me? Worship is never wasted. We're all about serving the community here. You know that. You know that's what we're about. But when we worship, something special happens. Sunday mornings are important because when we worship, something special happens. When we leave here and we continue to worship, something special happens. Because worship is never wasted. See, right here, Jesus is anointed as king. And he says to that disciple, this was meant to be, because nothing's coincidence. Nothing's coincidence. This was purposed for her to pour this on me, to prepare me for my burial. The king of kings. The one true God. And then they go into this Passover meal. And in John chapter 13, we're going to look at a piece that says it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved who who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. You guys see that? Look at that subtleness. Jesus knew that God had put all things under his power. Remember that for just a moment. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you should never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Then the Lord said, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands, my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every part of you. For he knew you were going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. So Jesus, the king of kings, he had been anointed as king by Mary. Mary had washed his feet. See, we see this story of anointing in every single gospel just in a little bit different perspectives. Let me fill you guys in on something right now. There's four gospels. Each gospel was written by somebody with a unique personality inspired by the Holy Spirit. Just like us, when we see different things, we pick up on different aspects of it. Me, when I see a building, I say, okay, this is what it's going to look like. When Grayson sees a building, he says, now we've got to figure out the process to get to what it's going to look like. And I say, no process. We're just going to do this. <laughs> right? And so I see things different through a different perspective than Grayson sees them. Each one of the disciples in Luke also saw things through a different perspective. So when we see things in Scripture, they're not contradictory. They're different things that each disciple in Luke picked up on because of their different personalities. Isn't that beautiful that God knew that there was different people in the world? So he needed different ways to speak to us so that we can understand who he was. Isn't that awesome? You guys understand how much the king loves you? That he said, I know you're going to be a uniquely gifted and a unique personality because I knitted you together in your mother's womb. So I want you to be able to see the gospel through whichever lens you need to see it through. Yeah, I love the book of John. I only want to read the book of John because it's these miracles. It's these amazing things taking place. And then if you really like genealogies and history, then Matthew's the place for you. Right? If you're really smart, which is not me, and you're a doctor, and you're going to be a doctor, and you like to read, then you want to read the book of Luke. You know who hates the book of Luke reading it? Me. I love everything that's in it. But I'm just like, oh my gosh, Luke, why are you so detail-oriented? You're making me anxious, right? And so God shows us these different perspectives so that we can understand his gospel. So in each gospel, we see the anointing by oil, but we see it from different perspectives. And so when we see the anointing here, we see God move into this face. We see God take that anointing and wash the feet of his disciples. The king of kings, the one who's been anointed, the Lord, begins to wash the feet of the lowly. Now here's what that means. In Israel's time, in the time that the Bible was written, it was dirty. You wore sandals. Your feet were disgusting. It was actually almost a sin for an Israelite man to wash somebody's feet. Because that was diminishing yourself. That was taking yourself down. So there was actually a slave a slave who would be in the house, whose job, a bond servant whose job would be to wash the feet. And every once in a while if they didn't have the servant, the wife would do it. And so this was something just complex, something that we don't understand. So when Jesus gets down to wash the feet, Peter's saying exactly what he's saying. He's saying, "You're my king. You're my everything. You can't wash my feet. You don't understand what's happening. You don't understand what's taking place. It's purpose. It's not a coincidence. But I'm here for a reason to show you who I am, so that when you betray me soon, you'll under when you when you uh, reject me soon, you'll understand that you can come back to me because a good king serves. Remember, King Saul was all about the power. King Solomon was all about the wisdom, all about the wise. Every king we see in the Book of Kings was all about the power. Jesus says, because Jesus didn't look like Saul. Jesus says, I want to be the servant who serves you, and I am your king. But Jesus was nothing to look at, as the Bible says. Jesus was short. Jesus was not this amazing-looking man. It, the Bible, in a certain words, literally says he was nothing to look at. He was just an everyday, normal guy. Not what Israel wanted as king. They wanted a man who was ahead above everybody else. They wanted a man of beauty. They wanted a man who could lead. They wanted a man who would save them from the armies around them. But they got a Jesus who would save them, not from the armies, but save them from eternal separation from God through his blood on the cross. And so he sent a king that nobody would recognize because they were looking for something else. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were looking for something else. They were looking for a militant leader. They were looking for someone beautiful. They were looking for somebody that they would recognize through their own understanding. But these were also the men, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who had studied every Old Testament scripture. Who had studied the book of Isaiah, where it says there will be a lamb let the slaughter. Who had studied all these scriptures and knew it better than anybody else. But it also says in the book of John that they loved the praise of man more than they loved the praise of God. Their heart wasn't into Jesus. Their heart wasn't into the Father. Their heart was into their position. They held the seats at the banquets. People saw them walking down the street and said, hey, we need to hold up because this is a man of honor." This is a man who studies the scriptures. This is a man who loves the scriptures. This is a man who is devoted devoted to God. But really, they weren't devoted to God. They weren't devoted to God. They were devoted to their own position of power. See, because when the King of Kings comes, He doesn't come to save us from the human world. He doesn't come to make our lives so much better. He comes to make our eternity better. He comes to help us to get through. Wife. He comes to be a king who humbles himself before sinners like us, before disobedient people like us, and takes a rag. And literally the robe he was wearing, he was using to wash their feet. He humbles himself and he washes them. He washes them. He even washes the one who would betray him. How powerful is that? Judas Iscariot, Jesus always refers to him, You're the one who's gonna disobey me. You're the one who's gonna disobey me. He gets that because that's what a king does how many of you have trouble forgiving yeah that silence is all the answer that I need see we have trouble forgiving, we have trouble looking the person who has hurt us in the eyes when we see them at the grocery store, we're like no way Kim And we'll go all the way around that grocery store just to get away from them because we're like I can't even be around that person Amen. I can't even look at that person Now think of the king of kings who is going to be sold, sold to death, which Jesus has all things under his feet and under his power, so he knows it's going to happen. He chooses to do this, but he still gets down because he loves Judas. He loves Judas, the one who would sell him into death. He loved him and he washed his feet. See, a good king forgives. I want to challenge you to forgive today. I want to challenge you to forgive somebody who's hurt you today. I want to challenge you to take a step. The Bible says that those who don't forgive will not be forgiven. These are powerful words. Jesus lays out the model of forgiveness for us. He wants you to live a life not controlled by other people, not controlled by the king. Because when we don't forgive, all we do is let them have a peace of life. When our anger burns for someone who has hurt us, all they do is continue to have a peace in us. See, Jesus forgave Judas. Jesus washed Judas' feet so that he could go to the cross with a clear conscience because Jesus doesn't sin. Jesus doesn't discriminate. Jesus doesn't discriminate even the people who are trying to kill him. We're going to go to Matthew 26. We're going to look at verse 17. It says, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for the Passover to eat? And this is that story I was telling you just a little bit ago about them riding in. Jesus. And we're going to get down to verse 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, take it and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until, the, until when I drink it, new with my father in my father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so the king of kings... The one who had been anointed. The one who had God had prepared. The one who didn't look like the king we wanted. The one who wasn't a great militant leader. The one who didn't have the looks that they had desired. The one who was nothing to look at. The one who was Jesus himself, God on earth, fully human and fully God, sits at a table with the one who's going to betray him. Remember, after he had washed his feet, sits at a table with the one who will betray him. And he gives them a covenant. He gives them all a promise. He gives us all a promise. Because you guys know just as well as I do, Saul would have never sat down with all of his people. He never would have sat down with the disciples for sure. Because the disciples were dirty fishermen. And one was a tax collector. As we've seen all throughout the Gospels, the people that Jesus picked are people that that when they walked into the room of the Pharisees and the Sadducees saw him having dinner with them said, this man is messed up. He's eating with sinners? So the king of kings comes, comes, and his last meal is with the lowly of lowlies, The fishermen. They smell bad. The king of kings never had a place to lay his head, as we see in Scripture. He was never Saul living in a kingdom. He was never Solomon living in a kingdom. He was a man who never had a place to lay his head. He told one person who wanted to follow him, he says, you have to understand, the foxes have holes, the birds have trees, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. The Son of Man, the King of Kings, has nowhere to lay his head. He lived a life of poverty. He lived a life of abuse. He lived a life that no king would ever live because a king would not take it. And he came to this last supper, eating with the lowly of lowlies. Psalm 23, it says that God prepares a meal for us in the presence of our enemies. Yeah. Just me and him. Just you and him sitting, eating with the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. So when Jesus takes this bread and he gives it to him, he's given them that covenant. He's given the lowly of lowlies, the king of kings is giving them a pact, a promise. This is the bread, which is my body, which will be laid upon a cross for you. This is my body. It's going to be laid upon a cross for you. This wine and this cup, which I will not drink of until I'm with my Father again, is the blood which will be poured out to cover your sin. See, it's not random coincidence, it's purpose. It's purpose. Jesus came and chose to come. Jesus wasn't forced to come. They didn't trick Jesus by hurting him. They didn't trick Jesus by putting him on the cross. Jesus chose to do this. How amazing is that? The king of kings, the one of heaven, the creator of you, the creator of everything, chose to die for you. Chose to be ridiculed and mocked. Hey, you guys think a president would die for you? No. Do you guys think the person that you idolize, who sings, or acts in movies, do you think they'll die for you? They don't even know your name. And how much worship do we give them? How much worship do we give the president? How much time do they take in our mind? I'll tell you a lot. How much worship do we give the singer, the actor, the actress? A lot. They have all our mind space. How much worship do we give this woman or this man in our lives? Who's supposed to be not even our spouse. Maybe we're just dating them. How much attention, how much of ourselves do we give them? How much worship do we offer them? And then how much worship do we offer the king of kings? None, and I'll tell you why. Because we are sinners. We're disobedient. We choose everything but him, and he continues to love us. Israel wanted a king. They got a king. The king would hurt them. They would cry out to God, God, we need you. Be our king. And God would say, Okay, I'm going to save you because I love you. But then God had to teach them. He sent them into captivity. He sent them into Babylonian captivity, the Persian captivity, the Roman captivity. Captivity after captivity after captivity because that's what they wanted. They wanted a king. Hey, who's the king of your life? Who's the king of your life? Is the king of your life some random singer? Because I don't know pop culture, so I don't know anybody's names. Is is that your king? Is the king of your life politics? Is the king of your life cars? Is the king of your life your bank account? Look at Mary. Mary. She says, God, here's everything I got. This pound of gnaw, I'm going to pour it at your feet, and I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to anoint you as king because this is the purpose, because you work all things. It's the king of your life relationship. Are you devoting so much time to one person because they're going to fix you? They can't fix you. Jesus can only fix you. He's the only one who's anointed king. He's the only one who can dig a broken pot and repair it. He's the only one who chose to do it. You got problems, I got a solution. His name's Jesus. Some of you are like, well, I've tried Jesus, he can't heal me. Jesus can heal you. You saying that shows that you're not in a position to be healed, you're not ready to be healed. You're not ready to be healed. Because you've got an intellect of God, but you've got no heart with God. You want God to heal, you want God to move you want God to show up, then get in a position of worship. Because worship is never wasted. Judas said, hey, you wasted that perfume. It could have been sold and given to the poor. Judas has an ulterior motive. He's going to that Hey, some, some of that, some of us, we have an ulterior motive. We're here because we want our life to be better. Hey, Jesus will make your life better. I promise you. it's not always going to feel better like the rest of the world. It's not always going to look like happiness like the rest of the world. It's going to look like joy that the world doesn't understand. It's not going to look like what you expected it to because Jesus didn't look like the king they asked for. Jesus didn't look like who they were expecting. That's why they missed him. Isaiah said that their eyes have been blinded because they were so focused on their own pride. They were fo- so focused on their own selves that they can open their hearts to see the King of kings standing before them because he wasn't what they expected. We're a church. We're a family. Maybe you're here today and you don't know why. Maybe someone invited you. Yeah, they didn't invite you for no reason. It was Maybe it was so that you can be restored before God. Maybe it was so that you could be encouraged. Maybe it was so that you could break down in front of a place where you can actually break down and feel safe. Maybe it's so that you could celebrate God. There's some reason. Don't just think that this was a random coincidence because God brought you here for a purpose. He brought you here to hear about the King. He brought you here to proclaim the one who chose to die for you. Not Saul, not David, not Solomon, Jesus. We've all fall short of the glory of God. It means we all commit sin. But here's the deal. You don't come to Jesus perfect. You come to Jesus with all of your You come to Jesus like Judas did, with all of his brokenness. You come to Jesus like Peter did, with all of his brokenness. The same one who said, I'll follow you unto death, is the same one who denied him three times before the rooster crowed. But Jesus didn't say, I don't love you anymore. Jesus said, I knew you were going to do that. Come, let me love you. Jesus isn't someone who separates himself from you. You're someone who separates yourself from Jesus. Our sin, through our pride, through this view of who we think Jesus is. Hey, some of you are following Jesus and you expect them to look like this. You expect this to be manipulated to what you want. This will never be manipulated to what you want. This is never gonna be something that you read and you're like, okay, that makes total sense. This is not something that you can read and be like, okay, if I twist it this way and twist it that way, then I can make it show exactly how I want. And I can have this own version of Jesus that I want. No, Jesus is who he is. Jesus is something that causes change. Jesus is a love that we've never experienced. Jesus is a king who wants us, who wants a relationship with us. Doesn't just want our head, but wants our heart. Wants the fullness of who we are. Are you ready to see the fullness of who Jesus is? That's not good enough. Do you want the fullness of who Jesus is? Are you ready to recognize the King? Yes. Are you ready to recognize the king? Yes. Are you ready to recognize the King? Yes Today is the day to recognize the king who comes on a donkey, not a jet player. You feel that? There was a televangelist and he said, Jesus wouldn't be riding on a donkey. He'd be riding on a jet plane. You know how I know he doesn't know the word of God? Because Jesus literally rode in on a donkey. Because he's the king of kings, the lowly king, the king who took the position of who we are so that he could understand those struggles of who we are, so that he could live seated at the right hand of God the Father and intercede for all of us and take all the wrath. Take all the pain, take all the sin, put it upon his shoulders so that he can live in knowledge of who we are, petitioning God for who we are, and saving us from the depravity of who we are. That's who Jesus is. That's the king. So let me challenge you. Whatever you're worshiping today that's not that, will you leave it here? Whatever you're worshiping, whatever's taking all your brain space, whatever's taking all your heart space, can you lay it down? Can you lay it down? Say, I'm not ready to worship this idol anymore. I'm not ready to worship my bank account anymore. I'm not ready to worship this actor, this actress, this singer, this thing. I'm not ready to worship it anymore. I want to take everything that I have and I'm going to pour it at the feet of Jesus. I want to take all my worship, and I want to pour it at the feet of Jesus. I want to make myself broke for the feet of Jesus. I want to lay it all down for the feet of Jesus. I want to lay it all for him. I want him to take it. I only want to worship him. I only want to know him more. And you're not going to be perfect at it because none not us a perfect at it. I have idols in my life which I need to let Jesus slay today. I have things in my life which I need to decrease today. I have an unhealthy obsession with Disney. I have an unhealthy obsession with Netflix. I have an unhealthy obsession with TV. I let it control my life. It's time to lay before the feet of Christ. It's time to come before Christ. Now those things are not bad in moderation. But they're bad when when we need them. When we worship them. Jesus wants our full worship today. We're going to have a time of communion and signing. But before we get to that, I need to have a heart check.